As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series with a full house today. A full compliment. We've got Corey Promman and Scott Wheeler of the Athletic. We've got Flow Hockey's Chris Peters, and we've got a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to start yesterday, a couple days ago, we talked about Scott's top midseason draft rankings. Today we've got Corey's, so we'll turn the tables on him. We'll grill Corey on his list, then we're going to get into some mock draft fun and a mailbag. So it should be a really good episode today. Um, and, and we'll jump right in here, Corey, with you. Um, obviously, we saw Scott's list a couple of days ago, and, and one of the first things that jumped out to me looking at yours today was Caden Lindstrom. You, you've got a, a nice tier of uh, defensemen right behind Macklin Celebrini. The only guy disrupting that is Lindstrom. What has he done to put himself in that territory? I think he's done everything you could have asked him to do this season in Medicine Hat. I mean, Medicine Hat has one of the best offenses in the CHL this season, and Lindstrom's been a critical part of their team in that offense. I'm not saying there aren't really good players uh, like Andrew Basho, uh, like Evan McKenna on that team, for example, but, uh, but Lindstrom has been a huge part of that team's success uh, this year. And his game has really developed in a, in a positive way. You know, when I watched him as a 16 year old, he was productive. I wasn't blown away by the player at times. And even when I watched him in the, in the summer at the Holinka, you know, you, you, you talk to people around that, team and they're like oh maybe this guy's only like a third line for the nhl maybe he's just like a souped up version of john beecher you know maybe you know you know super athletic but doesn't have tremendous hockey sense or skill and then the season starts and does not look like that you know he is showing a lot of skill he's making plays he's scoring goals and to go with you know i think he might be arguably the best pure athlete in the draft or at least up there with anton salayev um you know like outstanding skater especially for a big man um uh, super super physical like this is a guy who plays hard has an edge in his game uh wins a ton of battles because of how physical he is because of how fast he is and then you have may not outstanding skill but good skill good hockey sense to go with it i mean you're looking at a guy who has all the pieces to be a really impactful nhl player and frankly uh, you know when we get to a lot of the guys i'll think talk about you know, maybe where I think this guy's comp is in the NHL. Lindstrom is one I've been uh, struggling to think of a comp for in the NHL. I, I can't really draw a line to anybody I think of. Like I thought of Rupert Hints at times. I thought of Byfield at times, but I don't think any of those are a perfect one-to-one. Um, but I do think this guy has a lot of potential. Is the biggest reason for that because of that physical element? Because I'm, I'm trying to yeah. think of the kind of the big mobile centers that have come out of the CHL the last couple of years, your cousins, your docs and your byfield. That seems like the thing that differentiates Lindstrom the most there. Yeah, right. They're they're those guys like cousins, for example, compete hard, but they're he's not a killer like Lindstrom could be. Yeah, absolutely. We, we talked yesterday about kind of the, the placement of the wingers on Scott's list and you've got them more at the eight, nine range. Um, I'm just curious, you know, we kind of heard it from Scott's side yesterday. We don't need to hear a ton on this, but how did you kind of fall on what to do with Eiserman and Demidov? 
Well, I think if you're going to, if you have guys like I do, like you have like three, four defensemen there, you're really, really passionate about. You have a couple of potential centers in the NHL, whether you, whether Lindstrom or Berkeley can or NHL center or not, you can debate, but whether you have some guys who you think could be centers who you're really, really high on, I think to get a winger into that conversation, uh, you have to be so blown away by their ability. And I was last year, for example, on my Mishkov. I thought he had like extremely special traits, uh, an extremely special track record that I thought justified him in the conversation with, you know, guys like uh, David Reinbacher, like guys like, um, Will Smith or Dmitry Simashev. I thought he deserved to be that conversation because I thought he was the special winger. When I look at Cole Eisenman and when I look at Ivan Demidov, I see really, really good players. And I know there are some scouts who may argue one or both of them are special. I would lean to no on both. I think they're both really, really good pro prospects, but I don't think they're of a special uh, quality of talents that I would that would make me consider them over someone like Artie Levshunov, over someone like Caden Lindstrom. We've talked, I know, doing your rankings over the last few years on this show. I know you're always torn on the smaller centers and, and how to rank them and, and what is the the precedent there. Berkeley Catton seems like a guy you're ready to, to buy in on all the way. Yeah, because I think other than his size, I think everything else about this guy's game is really positive. I think he's one of the best skaters in the draft. I think he's super skilled and intelligent. I think his game has a ton of pace in it. I think he's not physical, but he competes hard. He gets to the inside. He's always around the puck. His game has a ton of energy in it. He can shoot the puck well. He makes a lot of plays. Uh, He has a highly translatable game to the NHL to go with great production in junior uh, he was one of the best players at the Holinka Gretzky, though different two different environments now this season where he's excelled. Like I said, I think the only thing about him is he's is his size. He actually uh, shrunk a little bit over the last few weeks. Uh, Central scouting, uh, their first measurement of him was closer to 5'11". At the top prospects game, he shrunk down to 5'10". Uh, unfortunate development for, for Berkeley Cadden. Uh, but, uh, but other than that, though, I think there's a ton of things to love about this guy's game. And then one more guy I wanted to get you with before we turn it over to, to Scott and to Chris. Um, Adam Juracek was a guy who I, I think is, a, is an interesting one in this class. We're not going to see any more of him. It doesn't sound like it sounds like he's out for the year uh, after the World Junior injury. You still got him at, at number 13 and at the back half of uh, of Tier 4. Back, I think you're the last guy in Tier 4. What's the debate that goes into, you know, do you put him with a guy like Zeev Bouyam who's put so much on tape this year and, and is obviously going to have more runway to a guy that, you know, it's been a little hit or miss and now he's going to be out. It's a good discussion. I think that's probably right around where your check goes is right around that 12 to 17 range in the draft when it's all said and done. And he is really hanging his hat on, frankly, one week of good play, which was his Linka Gretzky, where I think you could argue he was the best defenseman at that tournament. Um, and it helped, uh, you know, a good but not amazing check team almost, you know, beat a, a really talented Canadian team in that gold medal game. After that, his season wasn't amazing. Um, you know, obviously he goes to the World Juniors and he's hoping to maybe get some more traction there. I actually thought he played well in that one World Junior game he played in before the, the, the knee injury that ended his season occurred in that game. But obviously he didn't get, get a you know a full tournament, never mind one full game to display what he can do there. But I still see a guy who's six three, who skates well, who competes hard, who I think will have puck moving ability in the NHL, even though I don't think his offensive touch will match what his brother's is. And I don't think offense is going to be his calling card. I thought, I think it will be good enough. Um, you know, second power play, maybe if you're in a bind, but maybe not like a true power play type in the NHL. Uh, but I still think, you know, with, with the athleticism, he'll play big minutes. All right. Uh, I'll turn this over now to our, uh, to our experts for the cross examination here. Uh, <laughs> Scott, you want to start us off? Yeah. The only one that, that really jumped out at me and I, kind of knew from talking to you over the last couple of weeks at a couple of these events that this was coming, but was Carter Yakumchuk, um, obviously high on my list as well. I have him 12th, but three is, is, is really high, especially with the the sort of quality of the D in this group. You've got him in the same tier as Levshunov, but ahead of Levshunov, you've got him in a completely different tier from Sam Dickinson. I'd be curious to know what you're seeing there that distinguishes him uh, outside of the obvious goal scoring ability and the shot. Uh, what you're seeing there that distinguishes him from Lev Shunov and Dickinson in particular. Well, well the shot of the goal scoring is definitely really good. I mean, this is a guy who's on pace for, you know, I don't know whether he's on pace or not, but, you know, he'll, I think he's going to score at least 25 goals, maybe even hit 30 
this year as a draft eligible defenseman, presuming he stays healthy, which is incredible. Like it's more than Bowen Byram scored, for example, in his draft season. And he was a prolific goal scoring defenseman uh, as a draft eligible. And then this guy's also, you know, I think he's quite physical. He's big. Uh, skating isn't amazing, but I think it's good enough. Um, and I don't think he gets the offense just from his shot. I think he's might be the one of the most purely skilled defensemen in this draft. I think his skills up there with a guy like Lefshunov, his hockey sense and his offensive instincts may not be at the same level, but you look at his, I mean, you just go through any of his WHL shifts and he beats guys one V one routinely with his puck handling. And he gets by so many guys off brushes after taking off the blue line. Um, I've talked to a few scouts who've compared him to like a Brent Burns type. And I kind of can see, connect those dots a little bit. Like I see the dynamic offensive ability, the size, the the free range type of play style that you would hope he would rein in every once in a while. But uh, because he's so physical and big that he gets away with being good enough defensively. And I just see like so much upside in this guy. Uh, I think, you know, like, this is a guy, you know, a lot of offense last season, even more offense this season. Uh, I, I just think he's going to be a really good pro defenseman. Well, is it my turn, Max? Do I get it, to do this now? It is. It's, it's Peter's All turn. Right. I was really dismayed when I looked at Corey's list, not because I disagreed, but because of <laughs> how similar it is to mine. And that was that was the upsetting part. But I did want to talk a little bit about, especially when it comes to tiering uh, certain players and the separation between Trevor Connolly and Consta Hellenius. Uh, is, is it the positional? Is is it positional or is it more than that, Corey? Position is a factor. I mean, I think Connolly's one of the best skaters in the draft, and he's and he's bigger. Um, I think Hellenius would have an edge on hockey sense mm-hmm. there. And then, so yeah, you see, you know, there's some some things in Connolly's favor, a really important thing in Hellenius's favor. But I really think what does it for Hellenius and why there's a tier distinction is one position, and then two. Uh, the accomplishments in the various leagues. You know, Connolly's been one of the best players in the USHL this year, but Hellenius has been really good against men this yep. season. And that, and like, if you ask me who do I think is more talented, I would say Connolly. But uh, I think you have to give credit where credit's due when a guy is doing very well and playing real minutes against men, um, at times being a leading player on a decent league team. And, I, and that's where the distinction would fall for me is this guy is just you know, been really impressive at various levels, but particularly at the pro level. And so you would kind of have answered some questions on whether it's going to translate up to better opponents. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I also, there, I, I that's a, that's a satisfactory answer uh, just for, for that. But uh, you know, I, I think that he is uh, that that's a real interesting dynamic. Cause, and, and also the, the fact that we have these different tiers is kind of what creates some of these, these arguments, right? Cause it's, it's, it's sometimes it's really splitting more hairs than, then you you might realize if it's a player a step higher or lower. But the other guy that I wanted to well, ask you Hel- about, Hel- Helenius does give me some concern though. There have been times this year when I watch him where I yeah. do wonder whether he's a special enough five eleven guy to be ranked where he's commonly ranked. Um, but like this is kind of like the same argument we have with like Zach Benson. Like you could pick apart the size, you could pick apart whether he's an elite enough skater. But if he keeps scoring at every level, then it's like at some point he's just good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We have to we have to 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 call it as we see it and sometimes the production and and the performance actually does, you know, you, you just kind of have to get away from some of the the measurables at times. Um the one other guy that I did want to bring up and I I think this is because he's kind of a fascinating player to me personally and and is a player that that I've been debating about exactly where I want to put him on my final list that comes out next. And that is actually a little bit further down. And we go to Adam Kleber from the, sure. from the Lincoln stars. And you have him as your 29th prospect, which I, you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree. And I, I think this is a player that has shown significant progression. Also coming out of the fall classic. I felt like there was a lot of buzz about Kleber in terms of where he can go. It's, he was one of those guys where it's like, Oh, I got to watch him more now to see what happens. So what, put him over the top was it this he has a, had a recent uptick in his production um yep. that is that has made a significant difference in 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 how i feel about his overall offensive upside he's a nearly six foot five defenseman and a right shot um with you know i think he's you have his skating is below average i think he's closer to average i think for his size it's 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 fair um yep. uh right. but yeah 
I, I worry about his boots. Like when I've watched him, I, I think he can lump from a standstill when he's, when he's got to get out to a corner, his own zone, if he can, he can lump. Yeah. Out. Yeah. I think short distance quickness is going to be yeah a continual issue. I think there's, when he gets going, he's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, but Corey, I, I do wonder too, just, you know, he's not, obviously the size is there. There's a lot to, to like about, you know, where he's come. I also think his year over year progression is, is a significant factor, but I just wondered what brought you into the, into the light on Adam Kleber. Well, it feels like you guys said a lot of the points that I would have said for me, but I'll, Sorry. I'll, I'll, I, will, <laughs> I got to get a word in at some point on this podcast. So, that's, that's, yeah. No, it's perfectly fine, but I'll just yeah. kind of pl- plug in maybe a couple of things there. You know, I, when I saw him in the summer, I kind of thought the same thing. I thought, you know, good skater for the size, not a, not a great skater, but good enough. Um, but then I wondered, like, is there a puck game here? Is he just a dime a dozen big guy who skates okay? That was my thoughts coming out of the summer. And as the season has progressed, um, going into his USHL play, going into his World Junior A Challenge, where he was one of USA's better defensemen, actually led them in ice time in a crucial uh, semifinal game when they were uh, when they played uh, Canada West and, and lost that game in overtime. Um, but I think this is a guy, you know, like I said, he's big, skates well enough. I think there's a lot of physicality in this game, which which I like. You know, he's very he's a very good defender at the USHL level. And then the offense has surprised me a little bit this year. I think mm-hmm. among draft eligible defensemen in the USHL, I think he's either second or third in scoring right now. And you know, offense isn't what this guy's going to be known for, but it's just does can he can he make a first pass? And I think as I've watched him this year, I've seen a little bit more of that. Like he's on their power play, for example, in Lincoln, and he's getting his you know makes enough plays at that level to make you think that he can do it. And like I just like I look at him, I think can he be a Brandon Carlo type? That's kind of what, what I'm thinking about when I watch him. And I'm as the season has gone on, I've ticked more yes in that direction. You know, it's why I have him over saying EJ Emery. When I watch Emery, for example, I wonder, like, what is this guy's role in the NHL? He's big and he skates well, but he's not super athletic. He's not super physical. Like, he's not like an elite defender. So, like, what is he? Whereas with Cleaver, I see a more, I see a more defined path to becoming an NHL regular. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good to hear. I got one more for the group here. It's right in the same range of Corey's list. And Tanner Howe was a guy last year that uh, played next to Connor Bedard and obviously had outstanding numbers as a result. Connor Bedard's gone now. And Corey, as, as you alluded in your list, the points have really not dropped off by that much. But at the same time, this is a, I believe, sub 510 late birthday mm-hmm. winger. You've got him at number 30. I just wanted to kind of pull the room here. Where are we all at on Tanner Howe and his prospects? I, I, I would be I'm about exactly there. Yeah, yeah I would be <laughs> I I would bet if you ask me which way to bet, I don't think he's gonna go in the first round. I just think people will talk their way out of a five nine, five ten wing who isn't dynamic offensively in the first round. Like I've had this conversation with people like in the in the league this year, like would you have taken him or Gavin Brindley at the same point? And, and Brindley went in the second round, and pro- there's probably a lot of similarities in the player type with the high-end compete. Obviously, Brindley looks really good this year. Maybe he should have gone, the, you know, at the whole other, you know, debate. But I, I think that's, I think they're close enough that you're kind of thinking like late one, high two is, is his range. Just because yeah. I don't think, even though he has his points, I think everybody acknowledges that his points in prior to the years were there for a very specific reason. However, what I've thought about Tanner Howe this year, especially coming into this season, I thought about uh, another uh, spectacular junior player, um, Connor McDavid, and the debates around a particular teammate at the time, Alex DeBrinkett, who had mm-hmm. was on McDavid's team as a draft minus one, and then in his draft year was playing with Dylan Strome. Uh, and then there was always, I think there was always the conversation of, yes, he scores a lot, but... And so I think it's a very interesting conversation with how, uh, who I don't think will like the Brinkett. I don't think he's going to make a lot of highlight reels. I don't think, you know, I think there's some distinctions. I think he's a better skater than Alex was. I don't think he has near the level of skill and hockey sense that he does, but he's extremely competitive. And that's why I think he's had a lot of success uh, there, so far. I think there's a little bit of almost Otto Stenberg there as well. Otto Stenberg was a mid to late twenties pick in last year's draft, five ten, five eleven, maybe an inch or two taller than, 
then how captain at different levels works hard, decent skill. Yep. That I like. I like that one too. Yeah. So I I I have one more that I I feel like we should touch on too, and that's that you have Marcus Gidloff in in your rankings, and you're you know third you rank thirty six players. He's thirty six, and this is a goalie, uh, a big goalie, but also a goalie in a class where we just really have not talked a lot about the goalies because there really hasn't been a lot to talk about what kind of separated him to to at least get him on your midterm list here i mean you mentioned the size this is a guy who's i think about six foot six i don't think the athleticism's off the charts but i think it's good enough he can move laterally he can make tough saves um been excellent at the junior level this year uh you know i think he's the statistical leader in, in the j20 levels this year uh just shut out uh, the top-ranked year garden team uh, last weekend, which, you know, just been very impressive at that level. Played one game in the SHL, was quite poor in that game, actually, against the top backyo team. But I think there's a lot of tools there. Like, I think of where, like, Michael Ravel went last year. I think you can draw some similarities between the size and the toolkit. I think of maybe maybe uh, similarities to Eric Portillo at the same age, too. And, like, I see a lot of similarities there with Gidloff. Um, you know, I admit that I would like a bigger sample size on this guy. He hasn't had a ton of J20 games. Like I think he's only 20 this year. He didn't play a lot the prior year. Um, but like I said, this is a weak goalie draft. And I think he's the only one I've seen so far that has shown consistent promise. Like an Emil Vini, for example, is super athletic, but I think he's been really consistent when I've watched him. Mikol uh, Yigorov is big, but no, he doesn't, you know, and, and you know, show well in Omaha, but maybe doesn't have quite the, the standout athletic traits that I, that I'd like there. Um, but I think, so this is the one guy who I've, and you know, the program goalies are just okay. So I, yeah. and, and then you have the OHL goalies, George and, and leanders that are just on the smaller side. Um, so this has been the one guy I've watched that I've liked so far. I do admit that I still need to see more of him, but, and I, I debated right to the very end to include him or not, but, uh, that, that last weekend was, he was really good and it, it, it kind of tilted me to, to put him on there. All right, good stuff. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we will do a uh, first round mock draft, first half of the first round, lottery mock draft here uh, as we stand at midseason. All right, we are back and we are going to do what I think is our first mock of any kind of this draft cycle, guys. Uh, so this should be a fun one. Uh, we Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We've randomized a tankathon spin for, for the lottery. And we did get uh, quite an interesting result here with Seattle jumping up to the two spots uh, all the way from number 11. They have already picked second uh, once in the young life of their franchise. Uh, they will get to do so in our simulation again. Um, but the first pick belongs to, and this is going to be a popular one on Twitter, the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Corey, the Joker. The Joker Corey has the... Uh, the distinction of being able to, to, to be their GM. So we'll just go, you know, in, in order here, we go Corey, Scott, Chris, me, Corey, Scott, Chris, me representing the, the various teams here. Corey, uh, do you want to keep us in suspense or you want to rip the bandaid off? I do think though, if Seattle would win this lottery, that would put them in the first team to qualify for winning two lotteries in that short time period and would prevent them from winning a third lottery next season. Cause they didn't win uh in the year they picked Shane Wright at four. Right. So that would be an interesting scenario if that were to play out. But in terms of number one, it, Chicago does take Macklin Celebrini to uh you know they begin to build an outstanding center group where you're you're hoping if things work out it's it's your Crosby Malkin type of dynamic, albeit maybe not the you know some different style of players for sure in the two of them, but two outstanding potentially elite 
NHL players if they hit. And, uh, you know, I, I think if Sh- I think Chicago is sitting pretty either way in this draft. I think there's a couple of teams like San Jose and Anaheim who feel the same way that, like, if you get Celebrini, you're jacked because it's Macklin Celebrini. And if not, I think you're in a really good position to add a much-needed premier defense prospect to your organization. Uh, but I'm sure Chicago will very happily take door number one. And really, Seattle is is a poster child for the team that can benefit from that, right? Like as they've used their premium picks so far on centers, perhaps obviously not the caliber of Macklin Celebrini, but if there's a team here that you say, hey, they could really use a, a stud D prospect, the Kraken are, are very much in that conversation. Scott, is that uh, the direction you're going to take it with them? Yeah, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, I mean, you mentioned Shane Wright and Matty Beneers. They've gone to that well up front. Even last year, Edward Shawley, they've drafted Carson Raykop, Jaeger Furcus. Like, there's some decent organizational depth there at center and on the wings. Uh, certainly, Macklin Celebrini's one of one in this draft and would be a huge get for a team like Seattle that I don't think anticipates to be or anticipated to be drafting this high, but you, you probably go D here. I mean, Ty Nelson, Caden Price, Lucas Dragasevich, Riker Evans, the D that they have drafted are all sort of B quality guys. They could really use a, a sort of premium a level D prospect within that pool. Uh, as far as the two, uh, the two big, big names, if you will, at the top in Lev Shunov and Salayev, uh, they strike me as a team that would be partial based off of the way they've drafted in the past to to Archim Lipshunov. So I'll I'll take uh, I'll take the Bell Russian out of East Lansing and Michigan State uh, and and sort of cross that uh, cross that one off the list in terms of filling in a pretty big hole for the organization. All right, Chris, that puts you on the clock at number three for San Jose. Yeah, you know San Jose rebuild. They're just crushed at this moment to have not landed Macklin Celebrini, a former San Jose junior shark. And, uh, you know, his dad's with the, the Golden State Warriors. So, you know, that uh, the storylines of that are just too good. And uh, but they lost that. So they don't get that. But what they do get is an opportunity. I think this is one of those, you know, you look at the defenseman, you look at the at the center. Uh, you know, I think that, that that's it. And if I'm San Jose, I'm looking at the center. Uh, I think that Caden Lindstrom would uh, would be the guy for me um in this in this in this instance uh i think that there is um a lot to like about what he uh can be and where where he's trending uh you love the size you have that that physical the physicality which i think comes in handy in the in the pacific division um you know and there's certainly uh, his ability to uh to keep pace is going to be uh, important as well in that division so you know, I think that there's certainly uh, an opportunity to look at the defensemen. They they have not shied away from drafting Russians. They've traded for Russians. Um, you know, Silayev is certainly a guy that they could potentially look at look at in this range. But I just think that you know, you're you're so focused on that trying to build from the middle out and 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 getting getting a an elite level or a guy that you feel can be an elite level center um, or an all star center in the NHL. And Caden Lindstrom would would be the pick, but. I also think you're extremely crushed that you didn't get Celebrini. Um, and, and, uh, I feel, you know, and I'd be, if I were the GM, I would just, you know, I'd be delivering free hugs to the fan base, but Lindstrom's a nice consolation prize. Yeah. Lindstrom and free hugs. So you got to think of it like that. Exactly. You get you two for one. Yeah. All right. Uh, that brings it to me in Anaheim. And I think from the second, the cutter Gauthier deal went down. I think we've been talking about the potential for Anaheim to, use their top pick in this draft to add a blue liner. Uh, and obviously there's plenty still on the board here. To me, this came down to the three uh, of Anton Salayev, Kari Yakumchuk, and Sam Dickinson. Yakumchuk is the right shot, which I think is a nice foil to Pavel Michikov, but I think uh, Salayev is is a, a very appealing package of tools. I think based on the way that uh, the Red Wings drafted when Verbeek was in Detroit, I think there's a pretty good guess that they're going to love the, the toolsy 6-7 blue liner who can do a little bit of everything. Uh, and they'll take Salayev. And that would be interesting. I, I'm trying to, you know, other than Minchikov, I haven't seen Anaheim draft a ton of Russians, but this might be, a, like you said, a unique scenario where it just, it it lines up for them and makes sense for them to take uh, that gamble. Which brings me to drafting for Columbus, which I think has kind of the opposite uh, uh, spectrum in terms of Russians, where they might have drafted too many Russians. Lately, they they have a, they have they have a lot of Russian representation on their team, and I know when I talk to people around the league about drafting KHL players, about bringing Russians to the organization, 
Uh, there is a concern about you know whether you can have too many of of that in your organization, just because every time you bring a Russian in, it brings risk because they always have a, a, the flight plan option. Um, you know, you see, and, and they have some really good ones. Obviously, Marchenko is very good. Voronkov is good. Provorov is a little bit older, but but he but he's good. Uh, they don't have like maybe like a young high high end guy like potentially and Ivan Demidov could be. I think they would definitely consider Demidov here. Um, it would be a really tantalizing option for them to bring in. Um, but just looking at this organization, and you know they just dropped Adam Fantilli last year. They have other high, you know other high picks of four they made recently, and you know we'll see what the future holds for David Yerchik. I think they go defense here, and I think they would take Sam Dickinson. That puts it to number six. That is Ottawa and Scott. Yeah, I think uh, Ottawa is suddenly maybe a little bit disappointed to have missed out on on the three big boys on the blue line. Uh, they they could use that injection. We know what their core looks like up front with Kachuk and Stutzla and Norris and Batherson and Ridley Greggs joining that group. And they seem to have a nucleus up front that they like. Uh, obviously, uh, Jake Sanderson on the back end is the premium piece there. And they've got decisions to make on Thomas Shabbat and uh, and, and Jacob Chikrin now. Uh, so I, this is throwing me for a loop here. Cause I was going to pencil in Sam Dickinson. Uh, I do wonder if a player like Carter Yakumchuk is, is, is appealing here all of a sudden. Uh, and you mentioned the handedness, the handedness doesn't hurt within that organization They're Uh, they've, they've sort of got some tools down the left side in terms of their blue line. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll maybe go, uh, I think they'd probably consider some of the, the, the high end forwards here. Certainly. I don't think Cole Eisenman fits the box in terms of how they've drafted traditionally, although it's a pretty, pretty new management group there. So there's likely going to be a shift away from man and, and Dorian in the way that they drafted, uh, uh which is a way that certainly wouldn't have, have uh, been drawn to a player like Eisenman. Um, I'm not sure they go for a winger here, though, in, in Eisman or Demidov. So I'll, I'll go with uh, with Carter Yakumchuk here. All right. And that sends to Chris, who's picking for Minnesota. Yeah. And I think this is a, a really interesting and potentially difficult range here because you do have good options for sure. You know, and I'm looking at the forwards. I'm looking at Kat and I'm looking at at. at uh, at Demidov and I'm looking at Cole Eiserman, um as all viable options uh, for, for this team here. Um, you know, and <laughs> I mean, I think I'd even probably throw in, you know, Consta Hellenius and, and maybe even um, Trevor Connolly. Let's just throw all the forwards in there. Um, they need, they need a little bit of everything here though. Um, and I think with, with the top end defenseman, the best, the very best defenseman of this class now gone, I think you have to focus on the forward position. Um, and, you know, as I look at it here, you know, I, I do think that they probably, that they've got Danilo Yurov in the pipeline. They've, they've got, you know, obviously Kirill Kaprizov has been a, a franchise changer for them. Do they go for Demidov? No, they don't. They don't. And they will take the American, Bill Guerin, going back to USA, USA, and will take the elite goal scorer that is Cole Eiserman. Um, and, uh, that's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Chris, you are going to get so many comments from Minnesota fans about not taking a center there. Uh, I know, but I just, <laughs> I don't feel like Catton is the guy. No, and not, not to mention a guy who scored the Gophers. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I want, I want chaos. Give me chaos. Bring him. He will be the, he'll be the first wild player to be booed every time he touches the puck. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Give it to me. Iserman. I, uh, I am uh, picking for Montreal here. I also was, was really hoping to get a center, but saw Minnesota ahead and thought that, that was not going to happen. So I, I rather quickly go up to the podium for Berkeley Catton here. Uh, maybe not the the big center you probably prefer for Montreal. You've already got Nick Suzuki as a smaller center in that pipeline, but I think uh, they, they just invested in David Reinbacher. They've gotten the big winger at the top of the draft. This is their chance to get uh, a, a potential top of the lineup center here. And so they'll take Berkeley Catton. Uh, that's so interesting, when, though. So when Buffalo was going into the draft, hang, uh, hang on, wait, wait, wait. Chris was gonna was gonna say something right. on that one. Yeah, yeah, because I mean. Let's look at let's look at their general, you know, yeah. wh- what else do they have up front? I mean, this is a team that like they're 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 crying for size, right? Yep. I mean, they've got they've got Slavkovsky, they've got Doc, they've got guys that will be bigger, Anderson. but you know, it, it, but at the same time, 
yeah, it's just like, wow, this feels like more of the same of Montreal. As good as much as I like Cat. Well, what's the alternative? The best alternative is probably what Demidov and yeah, exactly. Still so, same questions. Yeah. So this is basically what we're saying is this is a terrible range for them to fall in for the draft. So we'll see, but that's, uh, it's interesting though. It's just like, you know, that's how much of that is though. Like what the draft is it, where you pick in the year that you pick has a significant impact on what you ultimately can do. And I think I I'm saying this is the correct pick. For them, but it's like, also think, like man, like I think like yeah. the next best forward that have size would be like Connolly or like Chernyshov. They're actually yeah. asking the odds guy I talked to who loves Chernyshov, like who sees yeah. a guy who's playing six two, he skates well, actually playing regular minutes on one of the best KHL teams right now. So I think like he's sneaky underrated a little bit right now. But six seven, whatever, wherever Montreal will be picking in this mock might still be a little. That's a little heavy, I think, for either yeah. of them at the Agreed, moment. Yeah. But but. uh no, it's a good predict. It's an interesting predicament for them if that's if this is if this is the way it ends up going. That throws it back to Corey though for Buffalo at number nine. So Buffalo is an interesting one because I thought going into the draft last year, you looked at their farm system, you looked at their roster, and I thought there's no way they pick a small skilled forward here. They have way too many of them. And then boom goes the dynamite. They're, they they pick Zach Benson, and not only did they pick him, they put him on their roster right away. So uh, I will not rule anything out with this organization, and they seem to have uh, be have a have a player type, and they seem to to follow the the best player available mantra. Um, so I'm going to give them more of the same and give them Ivan Demidov here, and they can figure out where all these guys are going to play. Maybe one of them plays defense. Not at all shy <laughs> drafting Russians lately either. That nope. organization, correct? Yeah. All right. Uh, Calgary is up next. That is Scott. Yeah. Calgary, I think goes into this hoping that there are one or two of the sort of high end, the six, the five or six top D in this class still available here. I think they're very happy that two of those names are, are sort of still on this list. They've gone Connor Zary, Samuel Hanzik, Matt Coronado. You go down the list. Uh, they've gone to the forward. Well, with their first pick in virtually every recent draft, they're thrilled to take one of, I, I think, Zeev Boyum or, or Zane Parekh here. Uh, I'll go with Zeev and just the projectability of Zeev and the, the, the better mobility. Uh, the fact that he's done it at the college level, they've gone to the college level with Matt Coronado, et cetera. Um, I, I think Zeev is is the more likely pick here, as as dynamic as Zane uh, uh, is offensively, if you will. So they're they're happy to add a add a premium D prospect to a pool that really doesn't have anything coming on the blue line, unless you're uh, a believer in Jeremy Poirier, which not a lot of people are these days. Yeah, and now we go over to Arizona, which is in, in kind of that similar situation. I, I mean, honestly, the thing about the thing about Arizona, they, they've got, you know, they, they, they went D, they got Simashev last year. They, they, there's a lot, um, you know, there's a lot to like about kind of the future of their their decor um, with that. If, if, if he's the centerpiece long term um, and I think this is another tricky spot where you you have so many different needs that you can address Um and I will also go with the dynamic offensive defenseman type in Zane Parak here for Arizona, um, just just because I think that is something that's a little different than what they have, um, it, like for their future pipeline. Um, I like where you know having having the ability to score from the back end is going to be important uh, going forward in the NHL, and that I mean it it always is. But even more so now with the mobility and the skill of defense in across the league, um, so I think that that's one way for them to address it with uh, Parek in this range. Um, even though I think you really could, I still think that Arizona just has so much that they need to continue to fill out. That um, you know they'll take whoever is the highest on their board here, regardless of position. But uh, I lean Parek here, and there's no obvious six foot five guy either. <laughs> right, exactly. That's a good point. He is a little bit small for them, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, who do you, who do you take? You can, no, nobody else is uh, in this range is in that six, five range. A, a nice foil to, to Mav Lamoura and uh, Dimitri Simashev. Yeah, exactly. All right. That sends it to me with the Islanders here. And I think the Islanders could use a little bit of everything. They're in a spot where, you know, but I think all the, the D have kind of gone. So you're just kind of looking at the, 
best forward available for me. That's between uh, Hellenius, Connolly, and and Aginla. Uh, maybe some consideration to like Corey said, Chernyshov, maybe Brent Signigard. I kind of think that the the unique player type here is is a little more size with one of uh, Connolly or Chernyshov. I don't know which, which way to lean here. I guess I guess I'm gonna go with Connolly for them. I don't think that's a bad move. This puts Nashville in an interesting spot. I think if uh, the two guys who I think they would be between here, I think that you, I think there's a definitely. If I had a lot of scoring wingers in recent years, I think they would love to add a center or a defenseman that they're passionate about. So I was thinking about Konstantin Halenius here. I was thinking about Adam Yurichek here. Uh, I think both would be good fits for Nashville. Uh, I think I'm gonna. Uh, I think, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about Helenius earlier in the podcast, you know, the size, I don't think he has the, he's a good skater. He's not the elite skater that a guy like Berkeley Catton is, for example. So maybe he just goes, he goes a little bit later than where everyone's kind of projecting him right now. But I think this would be r- around the end of the, that range. And I, and I'll give him to Nashville here at the 13th pick. All right, Scott, that puts you up with the Capitals. Whew. Uh, yet again, thrown for a loop. The Capitals are in a unique spot where they've drafted Brian Leonard, Ivan Marischnichenko, Andrew Crystal. They've gone the winger route as well and haven't really hit on the two centers that they did take in uh, Hendricks Lapierre, obviously, a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, th- I think this leaves them in a tough spot. The premium, premium guys, we've talked about this draft sort of being 12, 13 players deep. We're now into that range. Um, I don't know here. I don't know. Um, I don't love the D. I, I don't love the idea of them going to an Adam Yurchek after he hasn't played for for half a season here. But maybe that's the play. I don't love the remaining centers now that Hellenius is off the board. Um, maybe we'll we'll take a swing on Adam Yurchek and hope that he can sort of refine himself. Six foot three, good mo- good mobility. Uh, sort of two-way type, hopefully long-term. They don't have a lot of that within their pool. Uh, I mean, Vincent Iorio and the guys that they do have there are, are sort of depth guys at best. So uh, I like the idea of them taking a D. They're probably disappointed not to have any of the premium guys left. Uh, Yurichek uh, sort of fits into that next tier for most teams. So I'll 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 go with Yurichek and not be thrilled about it. Right. On to Chris, who is picking for the Devils. Yeah, Devils, another team where, you know, they could probably address quite a few needs in terms of their pipeline. They've obviously had a lot of young guys that have matriculated to the NHL level, um, you know, still waiting on, on, <coughs> excuse me, some of those guys to come along. Um, but, you know, I, I, as I look at it, you know, I, I like what they have in general. Um, you know, I think that this is a good, good range to take, take the swing, you know, take a swing on, on a prospect that you feel has high upside, um, and that would be Igor Chernyshov here, um, you know, and I, I think that that is one of those players where, you know, especially like the Devils should be better than they've been this year. Obviously, they've had a lot of different uh, injuries and, and situations that have cropped up that has hampered their season. Um, but I don't think they're necessarily all that that far away. Um, and to me, getting a, a scoring winger with some size, somebody that's going to support your long term centers, um, you know, that that may not have the size. Um, would be helpful. And I think that having a guy like Chernyshaw with his skill level um, and his scoring ability would be uh, a benefit to the Devils. All right. And I will close it out here with the second pick for San Jose, this one um, being from Pittsburgh, courtesy of the Eric Carlson trade. And I will give them TJ Ginla. Ideally, I think you're drafting these two Western Hockey League guys to be your next spark, and one of them's the pure playmaker and one's the shooter. Not exactly the case here. You're kind of getting two guys who are more shooters, but I think the talent level is there, and even if you end up playing them on different lines from each other, um, you you kind of get two big-time offensive prospects here in this draft, which is what they need. Just just looking over the the sort of order that we've built out here and the way that this plays out, I do think San Jose taking two forwards is unlikely to materialize after they went Will Smith, Quinton Musty, Philip Bistet. Like there is nothing or very little. I mean, Matthias Havlid and those types aren't going to be uh, cornerstones on the back end. I, I could see them using that Lindstrom pick at the very top on a D uh, and using the second pick on a forward now that we've sort of looked at looked over it this way uh it's suddenly you got you got a lot of forwards in that pool and very little coming on the back end if you're san jose 
I feel like this is an evergreen observation, but nine of the first uh, 11 picks were either center or defenseman. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And that's probably how it goes when, when all, when all is said and done, it's going to be lots of centers, lots of defensemen and, and Scott to Scott's point, he very well could be right. Um, You know, I think that the, the highest upside play, um, you know, I think I, I just think San Jose, they've got to make sure they're not taking huge swing, like huge risk with that first pick. That's one of yeah. the reasons why I went with Lynch. I, I felt very, a little more confident in him. It's a very similar situation to Arizona last year, right? Right. Like, you know, where they have six and 12, they want to get a defenseman. You don't know if the guy you love is going to get going to be there at 12. Um, So I think it, I think San Jose, if presumably they don't win the first or second pick, could be in a similar situation. And could come to a similar conclusion, which is to take the big Russian defenseman at that pick, right? Like Salayev was probably the, the, the best D available. That's the one you considered, right, Chris? I think that's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. All right. Good stuff. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back with a mailbag to close things out. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we are back with a mailbag, and it's a good set of questions here today. Uh, we'll kind of divide these up amongst our crowded house here, but uh, we'll start with Major Nelson, who wants to know how much, if any, do you think the Russian stigma will subside during the 2024 NHL draft compared to the past two years? Corey, do you have a thought here? Well, I think after the invasion of Ukraine happened, it was just you know a lot of uncertainty. You know, same thing during the COVID draft. When you're in a situation that where you don't have recent precedent, you don't really know how to proceed. There's a lot of questions. People really didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I, I know for a fact there were a lot of teams that were hard nosed on Russians in you know the in the first year that happened and even the second year that that happened. But as time has gone on, you've seen teams make major investments in Russians. You've seen that you know we'll see with guys like Simishev, Boot, and Mitchkov over time. But you've seen like you know Mirosichenko, they're Washington will get him signed. He is in the NHL this season. We believe Daniel Yurov will be over with Minnesota uh, next season after resigning for one year at Magnitogorsk. Um, you know, we we think there's you know. A little bit more clarity on the situation and that it seems like you can get these players signed doesn't mean it isn't more complicated the lack of live views in particular makes it more complicated the lack of national team experience for these teams make it more complicated but in my discussions with teams this season i noticed a distinction between previous seasons where i'm sensing less uncertainty uh less hesitancy to call those russian names in the first round and just frankly, this year, there's a lot of good Russians in, in this draft. And if you take Russians out of your list, you're taking a pretty decent chunk of the first round talent out. I do think most teams approach it that tie goes the other way. And that if, if somebody is close to the Russian, you'll take the other player. Um, but I, I do think there's going to be plenty of Russians hearing their names early this summer. All right. Uh, next one is for Scott and Logan Horn wants to know your thoughts on the BCHL AJHL shakeup with top Alberta teams like the Brooks Bandits leaving Hockey Canada. 
Yeah, this is obviously, in terms of the junior hockey landscape north of the border here, a huge story. The AJHL and BCHL have combined to be the only real challengers uh, to the USHL for college hockey recruits over the last decade plus, two decades really. Um, now suddenly they saw an opportunity, I think, where they were limited under Hockey Canada's current guidelines as it's currently written for Hockey Canada. They weren't able to recruit players from beyond the borders of their of their leagues, basically, which made it very difficult for them to accurately and then sort of completely compete with, uh, with the USHL, especially because of how many Quebec kids have chosen in recent years. I mean, we've seen it this year with Sasha Boisvert. It's become an annual thing where two or three top players out of the Quebec minor hockey loop tend to go and play in the USHL and go the college hockey route. We saw it with Thomas Bordalo in terms of eventually even playing for USA Hockey internationally. Um, they were losing that war. Now, suddenly, if you step outside of Hockey Canada, you've got access to all of the Canadian minor hockey players in terms of recruiting them as the into the BCHL as an opportunity and a stopgap into college hockey. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's difficult though, because it's, it puts the AJHL obviously in a, in a terrible spot. The AJHL is going to suffer in a big, big way over this. The rest of the teams participating in the AJHL are going to have a tough time surviving. Uh, you're losing really in, in the AJHL scenario, you're losing your four dynasties, your four superpowers of the last 10 or 20 years. And then a Black Falls organization that came in and built in a very small town, built a brand new arena with rich money ownership. Uh, that wants to invest and sort of join that group of four that have been the established superpowers in the AJHL. So uh, in terms of the BCHL, I think ultimately it's good for the competitiveness of and giving college hockey uh, bound players more options. Uh, but it's, it's, it's going to hurt in the short term. It's really going to hurt the kids who are playing in the AJHL uh, and really going to make it tough on the CGHL to continue to survive as a real destination. Uh, it was already tough. The Maritimes Junior Hockey League, the OJHL, the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League have always had a little bit of a tough go. There are a couple of teams in the OJHL that have uh, recruited players away from the OHL over the years to go the college route. But now suddenly it's less a destination for college players, the CJHL this being, and more of a destination for U sports players. And the quality of the hockey will likely suffer. Uh, as a result of of the BCHL's move and these five AJHL teams. So um, good for college hockey bound players in terms of top prospects, probably a net negative for, for junior hockey in Canada on the whole. All right. Uh, next one's for Chris. It's from Ben Craig, who wants to know about the Stramel over Perot decision for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, he says, are the Wild regretting that or what? Which is certainly uh, probably the way that the Wild are feeling right now. Well, you know, it's interesting because I mean, like, those those types of decisions are obviously made with a lot of different you know like different different factors involved i mean we're talking about two incredibly different like they could not be yeah. more different the two players and it comes down to a preference of of the organization i think that there was a mandate that that they 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 got tougher that they get somebody that was going to provide size and that was what they wanted with the pick that's what they got um the thing is is that we already knew like there was no doubt in anyone's mind that Gabe Perot was going to put up way more points than Charlie Stramel and will continue to put up way more points. And it just was that that was not the kind of player that the wild wanted in that range, whether or not that's a good decision uh, remains to be seen because these two players still have a ways to go before they're going to be NHL competitors. Obviously I think that Gabe Perot and I had him ranked as such was a, is a better prospect than Charlie Stramel and Stramel has had, quite frankly, an awful season. Um, and uh, on the, the thing that's amazing about it is he's having an awful season on one of the best teams in college hockey. Last year, you could kind of write it off as, hey, Wisconsin's really bad. This year, they're very good. Um, and I would say that th that there has been some you know stagnation there. And so, you know, I think you, you do have some regret, maybe. I don't think it's a one-to-one -one regret. Um, I know Perot is the guy most tied with, with the who is believed to be the pick that would have gone uh, had there not been a decision to, to, to change and go with Charlie Stramel there. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's still a long way to go in terms of what Charlie Stramel ultimately becomes as a prospect, what Gabe Pearl ultimately becomes as a prospect. Um, and we, you know, we shouldn't make decisions based on a half a season, basically um, in terms of like how regretful one should be. 
there's no question though, like that that was a high risk pick that Minnesota made. And the early indications are that it's not going to hit the way that they need it to. Um, but, but those are early indications. Yeah, you know, I say this as a guy who was a big Charlie Stramble guy going into the draft. You know, it's one thing to say we expected Gabe Perot to score more points next season than Collars than than uh, than Stramble. Uh, but Gabe Perot is currently third in college hockey and scoring right now. And as I'm looking up, Charlie <laughs> Stramble is all the way at 691st in that, college and is scoring. that good so, so it's, that's, oh. a, that's a minor that's a minor distinction yeah yeah and i mean like that's the thing is like you know we were never we were never expecting charlie stramel to be in, in the top 40 or 50 maybe <laughs> but but yeah but probably not in the 600s and yeah I, I think these are the these are the the decisions that you make and you say hey you know maybe maybe he is going to be a fourth line center for them someday and you get an everyday NHLer, and you're like, oh well, at least we got an everyday NHLer. But yeah, I mean, Gabe Perot with his hockey sense, his ability to make plays. I mean, the fact that he, no matter where he goes, he puts up points. I mean, you know, certainly a guy that you'd love to have in your in your system and be able to work with. Uh, but uh, it's not over yet. Uh, no. So <laughs> yeah, we we still do need to see what Gabe Perot's offense looks like in the NHL, right? I think ultimately, if Charlie Stramel is a third line center at the 21st pick, you can sleep fairly easy at night. But if Gabe Perot is uh, producing right uh, at, a, at a transferable rate there, that's going to make it tougher. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that that's really going to still be the question. You know, Gabe is still, you know, an, an, an average to below average skater. He has improved his feet, I think, in, in a certain, but, you know, elite hockey sense, high end playmaker, you know, does that translate? We still have to find out. Yeah. I think both have questions. It's like, does Gabe translate? And it frankly, is Stramel even a third line center? Yeah. Is he an NHL player at this point? Well, that's what I mean. I'm saying like if fourth line center, you're not too pleased at the 21st pick. If he can become a third line center, which I'd imagine what they were envisioning at the time of the draft. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yes. Yep. He's got uh, a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yes. Next one is from Joe, uh, who wants to know thoughts on Marco Casper's up and down season, or he he phrased it actually aptly, the down and up season. I I can probably (laughs) take this one. Uh, that is a good way to put it because it was not up and down in the way we usually think of it, where it's some good, some bad, some good, some bad. It started really rough, and that included a, a, a rough preseason where he did not really make any kind of serious challenge for the Red Wings roster, and then a really slow start in the AHL. Uh, he was actually the AHL Player of the Week last week, uh, or two two weeks ago, I guess now. Um, but he's got 12 points in his last 13 games. The offense has started to come. I still don't think that's going to be a, a big, I don't think he's a point per game player, for example, going forward. Um, but I think you have seen uh, improvement in his game. I talked to the Griffins coach, Dan Watson, recently, and he just talked about Casper playing with more confidence, more tenaciousness, relentlessness. Those are the things they drafted uh, Marco Casper to be. There's actually a play the other night. It was an empty net play. So not like a, you know, huge deal necessarily but he he wins a race to beat out what would have been an icing then wins this puck battle with at least i think it was two different uh players from belleville behind the net that ultimately sets up um jonathan bergeron's goal he doesn't get an assist on it but that's an example of the kind of play the red wings want to see from marco casper it's the kind that made him a top 10 pick candidate and so that is starting to come even if i still don't think it's going to be big time, big time offense. That's a guy who I think you're talking about as a, as kind of that middle six two way center with some physicality, and, and that I think you can live with with a top ten pick on that. Uh, next one, we'll go to Corey. It's questions from the Gargoyle. Uh, timely, since we talked a lot about Berkeley Catton today, he wants to know Logan Cooley versus Berkeley Catton. Um, yeah, that'd be a tough one for me. I mean, right now, given what Cooley's you know, Cooley's hasn't had like an incredible rookie year, but he's been quite good. You know, really good in Minnesota last year. You know, I think I would lean that way for Cooley. I think at the same age, honestly, it'd be really close for me. I, I struggled to think of a comp for Cooley when he was a draft eligible. I gave him brain point. I didn't love it, to be quite honest, at the time. Um, and I'm saying the same way with Cat. And I look at the NHL, I'm not really sure who his comp is. And I don't love giving comps of guys who are teenagers, never mind just still young NHL players. But I think Cooley is the closest guy I've thought of when I've watched Cat. I think there's a lot of similarities in the way they skate, the way they make plays at, at quick tempos, the way they compete. Uh, the frames. Um, so I, I think honestly, they are really close for me as prospects. And that one's interesting because obviously Cooley goes third in that class in, in what was not maybe the strongest class, but a guy, you know, Chris, I think had him number one. I think I was uh, pretty high on Logan Cooley that season as well. And we're talking about Catton at six here. I think that's an interesting kind of framing for this. 
All right. Uh, next one is going to go to Scott and uh, Nabil Raymond wants to know where David Reinbacher would rank among this year's top rated defensemen. Scott. I'd be curious to hear Corey's uh, Corey's thought on this as well, because I know we've sort of differed on Reinbacher over the years. And, and I think Peters and I have sort of been closer to the same range in terms of projecting him. Uh, I, I, in terms of the five or six defensemen that we always talk about this draft class, he'd be towards the back of that group for me, honestly. Uh, I don't think he's of the quality of Anton Salayev, Artem Lipshunov, Sam Dickinson, maybe closer to Dickinson for me. Uh, I, I, I still like David Reinbacker. He's still a six foot one, six foot two defenseman who's decently mobile and competitive and can, should, can, and should provide two-way value as sort of a top four defenseman in the NHL. Uh, but there isn't a quality, uh, and I've never seen a quality in Reinbacker that says to me that he's going to be a sort of true top of the lineup guy. Uh, and I think in, in Levshunov, in Salayev, maybe even in Sam Dickinson, I think there's a real opportunity there that you get a first pairing stud. Uh, and I'm not sure at this point uh, in terms of the way that things have played out for for Reinbacker that that's what you're looking at. All right. And then this last one, I think, was directed to Corey. I'm actually going to give it to Chris. Uh, Let's go wants to know if you regret ranking Juracek higher than Nemich all these years later. Uh, Not that many years later. Chris, I think you were in the same boat as Corey, though, having Mm -hmm. Juracek over Nemich. I did. Yeah, I had him over him in the draft year, and I I felt pretty strongly about it at the time. And what I would say is, you know, there is no question that Nemich has had a really nice run here in his early NHL career. It's 26 games. Um, you know, roughly that's, that's a lot, you know, it's, it's something it's, it's certainly a data point. Um, it's not the end of the story here, uh, between Juracek and Nemich. Um, you know, certainly the production is good. I know, you know, Scott was obviously very high on, on Nemich as well. Um, but my opinion hasn't changed. Uh, it, it, and it doesn't, cause it doesn't change after 26 games, you know, and that's, we've, we've, you know, Corey and I have talked about this before too, when we've done some of these you know, guys we were wrong about, we ended up being right about them later. You know, like it, 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 you, you kind of got to wait sometimes. Um, and, and that's the hard part about this is you want to do, do I want to buy, you know, certainly the stock is rising for Simon Nemich and, and the stock is obviously going in a different direction for David Juracek, but I haven't seen things in Juracek's game that give me the ultimate pause that he's not going to work out and not be a star defenseman for the Blue Jackets. I do think that the situations the two are in are very different at this point as well. And that situationally, that's the 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 thing that can make a difference in how a prospect looks versus how they ultimately project. And so if the situation doesn't change, and I, I, I'd have to assume that there's going to be some significant changes in the Columbus organization here in the near future. And yes, you know, David Juracek complaining about not being an NHL player. Honestly, I want a player that like that that talk that is saying I should be in the NHL. Now, he better be putting in the work behind the scenes on top of that to prove it. But it, I want a player that that has that belief in his ability and I I don't I don't begrudge him for that. But there's no doubt like but if you if you're judging them based on what we've seen over these last 2 years, you know, I still would have had Juracek ahead of him last after last season and you know, it's probably that gap has significantly narrowed based on what we've seen from Nemec in the NHL this year, but really it's way too early to say that one or the other is going to be the better player um, based on, you know, or, or to change my opinion based on the body of work that I've seen over the last four years. And since it was directed towards me, I don't know if we're correct, the, the tougher word, but to echo Chris's point, um, I leaned the year checks way uh, the last two years. And if you asked me to rank them right now, I would, it'd be a serious debate. I think, and might even lean Nemich's way, but I'm not sure I'm all the way there yet. But uh, he's the, the, the recent data has been quite compelling in one direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like it was really compelling in the other direction the last year. Like, Yurchuk, way better in the American League than Nemich was last year, way better in the World Juniors. But, but you know, uh, development is not always a straight line. Yeah, a little different conversation here, but it almost, we just talked about with Stramel and Perot that, like, you didn't draft Stramel thinking Perot wasn't going to score more than him. You probably, if you preferred Juracek, it's not like you thought Simon Nemitz wasn't going to be able to produce and produce somewhat early in the NHL. Right. No, but he's playing big minutes, right? Yeah, and it's like, it's not just, it's not, just, it's not like he's getting like some power play points. That's Luke Hughes's job. Like this guy's, he's, he's, the way he's playing has been very impressive. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. You don't take away anything from what's happening now. 
and you say, okay, well, this is, this is interesting. It's just when you're looking at the big picture, it's still a 26 game sample. Um, so that's, that's the other thing versus years of watching these players. So, well, and that long term, yeah. you, you drafted or you preferred your check because your check didn't get drafted over much. You, you preferred your check if you did, because you thought I'm going to have this big body six, three defenseman who can also add offense down that, the line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Neither of these guys are close to the tippy top of their projection. So it, that's it's, what I it's mean. Fine. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. The only thing I would add there is that I do think in terms of Chris talked about, I'm not sure whether there's anything that gives pause with your check. I do. I have started to worry about how many mistakes he makes, whether it's getting burned on pivots out wide to give up breakaways or coughing the puck up or out, caught out of position in his own zone kind of thing. Uh, with Nemec, you've got an efficiency that I don't think you're ever going to get out of Yurichik. And, and some of those mistakes have started to, he's still a very projectable prospect, but some of those mistakes have started to worry me with, with Yurichik. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, I think Nemec is way, way smarter and I think Yurichik the better athlete. I thought it was interesting. Chris said he, he, it wouldn't bother him to see Juracek talking about thinking he should be an NHL player. Do you guys feel the same way, Scott and Corey? Yeah, I, mean, I feel I like I, I feel like if you're going to say that, and like his comments were along the lines like, "I played well last game, and they said I didn't." And the next game you get in, you better play real well. Yeah, because <laughs> you just called out your coach and your management more or less for saying they're bad evaluators. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's the, the, the other thing that I do think is really important in I've, I've said this a lot and I'll continue to say it. Self-awareness is one of the most important traits of development. And if a player, if, if, if I didn't think there was nuggets of truth to what your was saying, I would disagree with that. You know, like I would, I would be a little bit more harsh on the commentary, but I do think there's nuggets of truth to what he's saying. I do think there are things that he does that has proven that he should be in the NHL. And there are things that he's done as Scott mentioned, that prove that there's still more work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that that work can happen at the NHL level, uh, especially on a team like the Blue Jackets. But hey, maybe it's maybe it's better to not be in Columbus right now with the way things have gone. Kind of a tough situation there, right? Because it's like we know they're not good. We know they're going to get a high pick, but we kind of yeah. know the mandate coming in was to win this year. So there's, um, it's definitely a hot seat there, particularly on the management side, um, and. We might have some more clarity this time next year in terms of and how they're going to be using their their roster going forward. I I do I must say love me some Simon Nemich. He was. Uh, he's, we he's, know Scott. We he, all know he's a Scott <laughs> favorite for sure. A, a Wheeler Hall of Famer through and through. Yeah. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and on his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. The rest of us, you can follow on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. And right now, get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.